Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Going Underground, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, France 24, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with Afshin Ratansi's Going Underground. Excerpts from an interview with Rolf Moet Larsen, the former CIA Moscow station chief and also former Weapons of Mass Destruction Department Chief of the U.S. Counterterrorist Center and a senior fellow at the Belfer Center at Harvard University. Avshin asks him about the revolving door between defense contractors and U.S. government appointees and the significance of the decline in using mercenary trips like the Wagner Group going underground. Rolf Moet Larsen was a CIA officer for over 20 years and at one time was station chief in Moscow. He's now a senior fellow at Harvard University's Belfast Center. He joins me now from Washington, D.C. If the government of the United States is not that powerful, what about the private contractors that are making a killing on the money here out of this uh, war? Donald Trump, the favorite, perhaps, to become the next president of the United States, says he can end this war tomorrow. Uh, there are those who clearly are prolonging the war by the continuation of uh, making masses of money for companies they may end up working for when they leave office. Do you think that is a, a dynamic that you recognize? You have experience of this. People at the CIA right, have gone on right. to make money. Well, I certainly find unsavory the idea of profiting, uh, profiteering off war to the extent, but I consider it a, a subplot. I don't consider it a main event. And, and moreover, if we wanted to talk about uh, the, uh, say, decline now, I believe, of mercenary forces and, and that type of thing, let's look at the case of Russia. Putin found himself after about eight, nine year run of Wagner extending its influence all around the world as a, a, in the same context you're describing. He just found that to be deeply politically destabilizing for his own regime a few, a few weeks ago and Russia now was in the is in the process of trying to find figure out how to save its assets that it's it's now developed all over the world uh, at the same time you know putting aside mercenary forces doing the bulk of fighting and war because there's a serious downside and the US went through this in a, li a little bit in, in Iraq and, and Afghanistan and rejected the notion that we should rely in, to an ever extending degree on either paramilitary forces or commercial forces or arms dealers to try to do wars and instead conduct them under the authority of the governments. And I would just add to that, when Prigozhin, Yevgeny Prigozhin mounted his uh, rebellion against Putin, which is what it was, uh, he uh, did so because the Russian Ministry of Defense had decided to put Wagner under 
the Russian Ministry of Defense control, finally, which is where it should have been all along. So I agree with the principle behind your statement, but I would say, you know, I think I think wise countries are increasingly looking at that aspect of war and trying to minimize its effect, particularly on policy and how wars are waged. So uh, we were talking about privatized uh, armies. I'm sure there are lots of things as a former CIA officer you can't tell me about the privatization in in that way. But do you not think you're minimizing the influence on uh, Blinken's uh, State Department, given that Blinken worked at West Exec, weapons uh, contractor consultant, Avril Haines, director of national intelligence, worked at West Exec, Jake Sullivan, Pentagon contractor, Microsoft, Lloyd Austin, Raytheon, Jake Sullivan... uh, it was also uh, an MI6 cutout macro advisory, Taiwan Authority consultant, Michel Flory, who uh, is also the Pentagon boss of the Center for New American Security, funded by Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, Boeing, Chevron, and Exxon. Are you saying this is all just by the by? They never have contact really with them saying, you don't think you can help us a bit more in this war in Ukraine to make some uh, uh, help in the war effort against uh, that evil Putin? Well, I, I do think, of course, these realities exist between the relationships between the corporate sector, the arms providers, and and, and those things become, I would call, a big part of fighting war. But in terms of maintaining guardrails that I will, again, point out autocracies don't have, like Russia's or China's, in, in terms of how the uh, commercial sectors work, I would say there are guardrails and there are distinct laws that apply in these cases, and, and they are administered when people break the laws. Our political process protects us to the extent that the parties have different views and there's oversight. I would point out that there's a lot more oversight in the U.S. system by, as we both know, highly polarized parties asserting their influence over what public officials do. So I'd say we have a healthy amount. Are there abuses? Yes. Are there people who cross the line or go over, break the guard? Yes. So and to that extent, I'll acknowledge your, your concern. Rolf Mertlassen, thank you. That excerpted interview with Rolf Mowat Larson was by Afshin Ratansi from his twice-weekly program called Going Underground TV. You can find the complete interview at the Canadian-based streaming service called Rumble.com. They have also posted archived interviews Afshin did with Julian Assange, Ken Loach, Ken Livingston, and many others. Search for Going Underground TV on Rumble.com. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Large-scale protests continue against Netanyahu and pending legislation in Israel. Radio Deutsche Welle. Thousands of people in Israel are taking part in protests against the government's planned judicial reforms. In Tel Aviv, demonstrators are staging rallies at important sites across the city, including the Stock Exchange, Defense Ministry, train stations and road junctions. It's all part of what's being described as a day of resistance by organizers. The action comes ahead of a parliamentary vote on a key part of the proposed reforms, which critics have said would dismantle democracy. Our correspondent Rebecca Rittes is at the protests in Tel Aviv and gave us the latest from there. I'm standing at one of the central train stations in Tel Aviv. It's one of several stations across the country where big protests 
uh, taking place as we speak. As you mentioned, there are protests at numerous sites. These have been happening since 6.30 this morning all across the country. And of course, we know that these demonstrations have been happening for seven months now. And these days of disruption then tend to spike when uh, we're getting close to a vote. And as you said in your lead on the lead in, that vote is coming uh, as early as next week. We're expecting the second and third reading of another portion of the bill. And that is what protesters here are trying to disrupt. Uh, some protesters here at this train station have been prevented from coming up. Uh, we're hearing from the police, some people saying it's from the train staff. We're not exactly clear what's happening, but some people have been prevented. So this protest, while it doesn't look that big behind me, is certainly very powerful. And as I say, tens of thousands of people have been are at protests like this across the country. Rebecca, these protests have been going on for months now. Are there any signs that the government is actually listening? Well, yes and no, it's hard to say. The, they were very effectual in uh, earlier in the year, at, towards the end of the last Knesset session, uh, when Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu fired the, de the defence minister, albeit temporarily, as it turns out. Uh, he fired the defence minister and there was a mass for speaking out. Sorry, I should say he fired the defence minister because the defence minister spoke out against the judicial reforms. And then the protesters really came out in force and they were effectual uh, back then a few months ago in halting or pausing the judicial reforms. Of course, now the government, the coalition, Benjamin Netanyahu, under pressure from his coalition members uh, to push forward with the reforms, the, the protests are out. And of course, they're, they're really hoping that they're going to be able to affect the same amount of change. The president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, is in America and everyone here, including former prime ministers, urging the president to bring that message, the message that they're not happy with these reforms to the president of the United States. Rebecca Richards there reporting from Tel Aviv. That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary, also available at most podcast sites. Next, France 24. Press reviews covering Bastille Day celebrations with Indian Prime Minister Modi and the heat wave in Europe. France 24. Starting here in France with Bastille Day celebrations, how is it all being covered in the papers? There's a bit of a shadow hanging over festivities this year. They come just a couple weeks after the unrest sparked by the police killing of 17-year-old Nael. Uh, we can take a look at France's left-wing paper, Libération. You can see uh, their front page today uh, focusing on not the national holiday, but rebuilding after that unrest. Uh, this photo shows the remains of a library in the eastern city of Metz that was burnt down. Uh, altogether, over 750 public buildings were damaged. Now, a law aimed at accelerating Reconstruction is going to be debated by French lawmakers starting next week. Uh, and in their editorial today, Libération is pleading with politicians to see this violence and destruction not as rioting, but rather as uh, a revolt, actions really expressing anger and unease that politicians need to address. Now, the response in some areas uh, has been to cancel Bastille Day fireworks. Uh, there's also going to be a very heavy police presence on the streets. And one Paris suburb, Le Bromenil, has gone so far as to cancel the 
city's main summer activities for families. Now, the city's right-wing mayor says that it's to pay for the damage caused by the riots, uh, but Liberation reports here that residents really see it as a form of collective punishment uh, for the actions of just a small group of young people, uh, punishment that the, po the paper points out is harming the majority of the city's families that don't actually have the money to go on a real vacation, so the city's activities would have been all that they had. Those are now canceled. Uh, meanwhile, we can also take a look at France's right-wing paper, uh, Le Figaro, uh, their editorial today is uh, really lamenting the fact that this national holiday uh, is a muted one this year. They call it here a couvre-fête, which is a play on words with couvre-feu or curfew. Uh, so basically a covered or a toned down party. Uh, the paper writes that it's a worrying sign of a country incapable of giving itself a dignified celebration, uh, in their words. Now, the Figaro uh, on their front page today is also focusing on the fact that Emmanuel Macron uh, is not going to be giving a speech today. Now, that's after he made a promise during the unrest uh, a couple months ago during the retirement reform that there would be 100 days of healing leading up to the national holiday. Now, Le Figaro points out that those 100 jours, those 100 days, are now up and they haven't uh, ended so well. A poll of For Le Figaro found that 78% of people think that Macron failed to carry out his objective of calming down tension in the country. 65% uh, meanwhile, so also the majority, think that the Prime Minister, uh, Elisabeth Borne, uh, should be replaced. Meanwhile, Alison, the main festivities on the Champs-Élysées are going forward with the Indian Prime Minister Narendra, Narendra Modi being honoured as the special guest today. Just tell us how exactly that is being covered in some of the papers. Well, Modi's presence isn't going over uh, quite so well in the French press. Uh, Le Monde here calling him an unavoidable, controversial partner. Uh, they note that Modi has come a long way. He was once banned in the U.S. over his alleged complicity in anti-Muslim pogroms that saw over a thousand people killed uh, back in 2002. But recently he was welcomed in Washington. Now he's being welcomed in Paris. Uh, according to Le Monde, we're now in a moment of no-shame Hindu nationalism. Uh, meanwhile, Indian paper The Hindu uh, is pointing out that as Modi arrived uh, yesterday, uh, the European Parliament in Strasbourg passed a resolution calling on the Indian government to protect religious mi minorities in Manipur. Now, that is a remote state uh, in the Himalayas that's seen deadly clashes between Christian and Hindu groups uh, since early May. According to the Hindu, uh, India reacted quite strongly to that resolution, calling it unacceptable and reflective of a colonial mindset. Here in Europe, the heat wave is continuing uh, to ravage several parts uh, in the south of the continent, and it's obviously uh, taking center stage in the papers today. Diptyka Laurent is here to take a look. Well, Aaron, that heat wave leaving many parts of Greece, Italy, and Spain under sweltering 40-degree heat, above 40-degree heat. In fact, on the front page of the Financial Times today, you see this uh, picture here that really sums it up, this little uh, this child's family were forced to uh, was forced to evacuate their home uh, around the Greek capital of Athens. Uh, the heat wave Cerberus is actually named for Hades' hound. Uh, that's been followed by another heat wave, the heat wave of Sharon, named for the figure who takes people to hell. So you really get the, um, the sort of symbolism in uh, the names of these heat waves. Uh, it does feel very hellish under the European sun right now. The Daily Mirror also uh, using that, that picture there. You see a sort of different version of it, but the same child on the front page. And here the Daily Mirror says that this is the terrifying reality of uh, today's uh, climate uh, crisis. The planet is burning up, uh, climate change, drought, fires, uh, 
Uh, these are silent killers. That's what Tanea, that's a Greek daily, says on its front page, uh, including uh, and also evokes some terrifying statistics like um, 52 degree heat recently recorded uh, in the west of China. Here in France, meanwhile, uh, L'Humanité is looking at the 20 year, a very, a very uh, sad 20 year anniversary since uh, the devastating uh, heat wave in 2003 which killed 15,000 people uh, in France at the time. What have we done? What's been done in the past 20 years? The paper asks, it says, okay, there are certain measures that have been put into place, like a, a heat warning system, but the paper says uh, the, the really uh, strong measures are still lacking in trying to combat these kind of heat waves going forward in France. Those press reviews were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English and most major podcast sites. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. Murdered Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akleh was posthumously awarded for her courage by the Washington-based International Women's Media Foundation. The 2023 People's Summit was held in Brussels parallel to the EU CELAC Summit. China has categorically opposed the eastward expansion of NATO. Radio Havana, Cuba. Shireen Abu Akleh, a veteran Palestinian journalist who was murdered in cold blood by Israeli forces live armor-piercing bullets last year, has posthumously received an award for her courage as a journalist. On Monday, the Washington-based International Women's Media Foundation, the IWMF, named Abu Akleh as one of the recipients of its Courage in Journalism Awards for 2023. Quote, Meet the world's most courageous women in journalists, the organization tweeted, attaching a graphic featuring this year's winners. The IWMF WMF called Abu Akleh a groundbreaking conflict reporter, adding that it was proud to recognize her intrepid reporting through this posthumous IWMF Courage Award. Wearing dress attire, the 51-year-old Al Jazeera journalist was murdered by bullets to the head while covering an Israeli military raid on the refugee camp located inside the city of Jenin in the northern part of the occupied West Bank on May 11th. Later, her funeral was also attacked by regime forces. On May the 26, 2020, Palestinian Attorney General Akram al-Khatib confirmed the results of a preliminary investigation, insisting that Abu Akli had been struck with an armor-piercing bullet fired from a semi-automatic Ruger Mini-14 rifle while she was wearing a helmet and a vest clearly marked with the words press. Defying the international uproar caused by her death, Israel brushed aside all the evidence, pointing to the fact that Abu Akli was intentionally murdered, alleging that the veteran journalist had been accidentally killed by the regime forces gunfire. Abu Akli's tragic death sent shock waves across the region and drew global condemnation. The United Nations and the European Union, amongst others, called for a full investigation into her case. Abu Akli was born in the occupied Al-Quds in 1971 and had a degree in journalism from Yarmouk University in Jordan. After graduation, returned to the Palestinian work in her field and joined Al Jazeera in 1997. The People's Summit, Brussels, 
2023 culminated Tuesday with the final declaration that calls for peace, respect and reciprocity amongst countries and warns about the imperial offensive to divide the world into blocks. The social, political, trade union, feminist, environmental and popular organizations and movements of Latin America, the Caribbean and Europe agreed after two days of debate on the broad text as a roadmap and ratification of positions. In this sense, they condemned the economic, commercial and financial blockade imposed by the United States on Cuba for more than 60 years, the unilateral coercive measures against Venezuela and Nicaragua, and the actions to remove progressive leaders from office. They also supported the governments of Bolivia, Brazil and Colombia in their social benefit projects and repudiated the repression in Peru. The final declaration of the forum, hosted by the Free University of Brussels, denounced violations of the human rights of migrants, discrimination, racism and xenophobia, and expressed concern about evils affecting young people in both regions, such as unemployment. Another part of the document reflects the need for coordination in the struggle for a multipolar international order. China has categorically opposed NATO's eastward movement into the Asian Pacific region, warning it will give a resolute response to any threat to its legitimate rights. The warning came in a statement issued by China's mission to the European Union following a NATO summit in the Lithuanian capital, Vilnius, where the US-led Western military alliance lashed out at Beijing. The bloc accused the People's Republic of China, the PRC, of challenging the alliance's interests, security and values. China totally rejects NATO's threat of intrusion into the Asian Pacific region. The PRC employs a broad range of political, economic and military tools to increase its global footprint while remaining opaque about its strategy, intentions and military backup. The Chinese mission rejected NATO's alleged concerns over what it has described as China's, quote, ambitions and coercive policies, pointing out that the NATO communique disregards basic facts, distorts China's positions and policies, and de- deliberately discredits China. Quote, we urge NATO to stop its groundless accusations and provocative rhetoric against China, abandon the outdated concept of the Cold War mentality, abandon the misguided practice of seeking absolute security, Security, don't mess up Europe and then try to mess up the Asian Pacific region and the world. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6,000, 6060, or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please, Help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. A U.S. nuclear submarine docked in South Korea hours after North Korea's latest missile launch. Atomic bomb survivors in Japan urged the Japanese government to help eliminate nuclear weapons. A fire broke out at a military training facility in Crimea two days after the bridge was bombed. 
Russia says it will restore the shipment of Ukrainian grains when its agricultural or exports are no longer sanctioned by the West. NHK Japan A U.S. nuclear-capable submarine paying South Korea a special visit had its own special visitor, the country's president, Yoon Song-ryo. It was a notable scene coming hours after Pyongyang's latest missile launch. Yoon held a photo op on the sub in the southeastern port city of Busan. The USS Kentucky can carry ballistic missiles equipped with nuclear warheads. Yoon came loaded with his own message. With this visit, we will make North Korea not even dream of carrying out a nuclear provocation. We've warned clearly that should the North carry out a provocation, it will lead to the end of its regime. The USS Kentucky's port call is based on an agreement reached at the U.S.-South Korea summit in April. It's the first visit to the South in about 40 years by a U.S. sub capable of carrying nuclear-armed ballistic missiles. The U.S. and South Korea held the first meeting of the Nuclear Consultative Group on Tuesday. It's aimed at strengthening Washington's extended deterrence. North Korea then fired two ballistic missiles toward the Sea of Japan early Wednesday. They flew more than 550 kilometers, about the same distance to where the U.S. submarine is now docked. Atomic bomb survivors in Japan are urging the Japanese government to push nuclear-armed nations to make progress on eliminating the weapons. The Japan NGO Network for Nuclear Weapons Abolition submitted a letter on Tuesday to foreign ministry officials in charge of nuclear disarmament efforts. This comes as the committee meets later this month to prepare for a conference to review the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. Last year, participants in the conference failed to adopt a final document. It asked the government to call on countries with nuclear weapons to fulfill their treaty obligation to continue negotiations on reducing nuclear arms. It also urges the government to clearly state at the committee the significance of a more recent UN pact, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Foreign ministry officials say the government acknowledges that treaty's importance, but they say nuclear-armed nations must be involved in it. Nuclear powers and countries under the U.S. nuclear umbrella, including Japan, do not take part in the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Wada Masako is a leading figure in the Japan Confederation of A and H-bomb sufferers organizations, She says she's disappointed that officials at the meeting only repeated what they've always said regarding nuclear weapons. We would like the government to say that it will not only extend the history of not using nuclear weapons for 77 years, but also that it will work toward the abolition of nuclear weapons. Wada said she wants Japan to take real steps to ensure nuclear disarmament and the end of nuclear weapons. From Crimea, a fire has reportedly broken out at a military training facility in the Russian-controlled territory. A senior officer in the pro-Russian forces says over 2,000 people living nearby will be evacuated. Local media report there was an explosion at a munitions depot at the training grounds. Earlier this week, a blast damaged a bridge linking Russia and the Crimea region, which it unilaterally annexed. 
Moscow blamed Ukraine for the incident. Russia's presidential spokesperson Dmitry Peskov says Moscow has halted a deal that allowed Ukraine to continue exporting grain from ports on the Black Sea. Peskov made the announcement on Monday, the day the agreement was due to expire. Russia and Ukraine signed the deal last July under mediation by the United Nations and Turkey. It's been extended three times. Russia had been complaining that Western sanctions hampered exports of its farm produce and other items. It said the part of the deal related to Russia's exports was not implemented. Peskov said that when it is, the country will immediately return to the deal. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said he'll discuss the matter with President Vladimir Putin. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan, now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9.865, or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's out farpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.